0: This episode of Motley Fool Money is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Everything's customizable these days. Your trading platform can be too. With Thinkorswim, you can customize screeners, charting, and stock forecasts so the market is always tailored to you. You can get started at tdameritrade.com thinkorswim.
1: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing.
0: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money radio show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, Andy Cross and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. How you doing, Chris? Hey, Chris. We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We've got a few stocks on our radar, and we have a lot of earnings to get to once again. But we will start with the big macro. On Friday morning, we got the jobs report for April. The unemployment rate soared to 14.7%, the highest level since the Great Depression. And Andy, we knew it was going to be a big spike, and a month from now, we know this is going even higher.
2: Yeah, Chris, it was uh, it was a little bit lower than expectations, which I guess is some good news, um, but we've seen 33.5 million people have filed for weekly uh, unemployment claims uh, since really the, the crisis really got kicking off. That's almost one in five U.S. workers now. Um, the temporary layoffs that we saw in the jobs report really um, surged up more than tenfold to 18.1 million versus the number of, of, of permanent losses that jumped uh, 544,000 to, to uh, 2 million, that's a 37% increase. Interestingly, employment to population rate ratio fell to 51 point three percent down eight point seven percentage points and that's the lowest ever since 1948 that they when the, the they started recording the, these figures and the biggest drop um, since then so really you start to see the details behind this report the leisure and hospitality industry just got crushed as we expected down 7.7 million jobs a loss of 47 percent so obviously a lot of pain in there uh, and what will be really interesting from my perspective is just looking to see how long this lasts because I think we're seeing some nice reaction today from the market, but overall there's going to be this lingering effect and that's really going to impact stock prices, I think, over the next few months.
3: Yeah, I agree. Simply staggering and, and each job lost represents a story, a human story out there. And and it's really, it's not just a data point on a piece of paper. It's A lot of folks out there that are hurting, my hope is that the various stimulus packages, whether they're the Paycheck Protection Program or they're enhanced unemployment, will somehow bridge the gap to at least some extent for for most folks. Interestingly, a high percentage of the number, I think it was greater than 70% of of people responding, think that their job loss is temporary, more of a furlough than a a layoff or a firing. Um, I certainly hope they're correct. I think to a large extent they are, but as we've said before, this is not going to be flipping a switch. Everyone's not going to get back to work quickly or as quickly. And not everyone is going to get back to work, because I think there will be some businesses that um, permanently go out. Uh, but the stock market's looking forward, which I think is important. And, and we can see that in the numbers. You know, we, The Nasdaq's actually up for the year. How, how could that possibly be? Fascinating. S&P down less than 10% for the year at this point. So the stock market's looking forward. The job numbers look backward.
2: Yeah, Ron, that's a great point to see see how long this lasts and how many of those jobs come back. So many temporary and furloughed um, workers um, on the sidelines right now and needing help and getting help from the federal government, that's great. that the length that goes for the next month, two, three months, I think is going to be really telling for the markets and to your tech um, factor. Um, for every 10 jobs lost since the, this, the crisis, we've created three jobs. I think so many of those jobs have been created in the tech space. And those jobs, I think, and we've seen this time and time again, those jobs and those companies continue to, to be around and, and to hire and see some expansion as, as we we're seeing in the earnings results this quarter.
0: All right, Let's get to some earnings, and we're going to start with the ride-sharing economy. Uber and Lyft both out with first quarter reports this week, and both stocks up, Ron, although There are so many question marks with Uber and Lyft, I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) There were question marks before the pandemic,
3: now we've got triple question marks. Similar stories, though, coming out of both companies. Weakness in bookings began late March into April, uh, so a real big drop-off in gross bookings in riders. Um, But both management teams uh, signaled that they have seen a rebound in the last three weeks, a nice steady rebound that seems to be continuing. Both companies are cutting costs in in an effort to eventually become profitable. Because I will remind everyone that these companies have not been profitable yet. Um, so costs, perhaps especially in the current environment, um, are too high. So both companies are cutting costs. Um, Uber is the non-pure play here. So, interestingly, they have some offsetting businesses that helped. Uber Eats, um, for example, up 52% in gross bookings, um, probably not a surprise as many folks are turning to DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats um, f- for food. Their freight business also strong, 55% in growth bu- growth in bookings, but that is a smaller business than the other two. Um, they're trying to get profitable. Both are signaling it's not going to be this year. That's not a surprise. Perhaps next year.
0: We'll have to wait and see. I've, I've heard that tune before. Shares of Makata Libre up 30% this week after a monster first quarter report. Andy, active users up, transactions up. Makata Libre looks bulletproof right now.
2: Yeah, Chris. I mean, it was a really impressive report. Unique active users up 31%. Now 43 million number of new users up 13 million. That was an acceleration from 12.3 million in the first quarter of 2019. Net revenues up 38% in U.S. dollars, up 70.5% when you ex- when you account for for foreign exchange. The strong dollar really um having an impact there. Commerce up 62% the commerce revenues up 62% and fintech up 83% a little bit of from 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 the fourth quarter but i think we kind of expected that we're seeing growth again across all of their their countries brazil argentina and mexico brazil's actually been a little bit of a struggle for them Mercado Pago continues to be such a great growth engine for uh, Mercado Libre, the payments business. Total payment volume up 43.5% in US dollars, up 82% when you back out that strong dollar. So, really, a strong quarter for Mercado Libre. They continue to show their relevancy in providing a commerce services, payment, fintech services, logistics services for all kinds of business units in Latin America.
0: Well, and we've talked before about how we're seeing accelerations in different businesses. And when you look at Meccano Libre, it seems like one of the things that they are accelerating is their lead over the competition.
2: I think so. Part of that also is just, A, they have such a great brand and such great services, and like I mentioned, um, payments, um logistics. uh, uh, financial services, um, just the response to what they've done around the COVID. Um, they launched new marketing campaigns called Stay at Home, We Are Delivering. They reduced listing fees, they extended grace periods to, for, for the people who have to pay off loans, eliminated late fees, so they're doing all the right things for their, for their clients and their merchants to be able to maintain that lead, and that's so important in a time of crisis.
0: Makata Libre shareholders had a great week, and the only people even happier are Twilio shareholders. Shares of Twilio, the cloud communications platform as a service company, up more than sixty—that's six zero percent—this week after a first quarter report that just blew away Wall Street's expectations. Ron,
3: so impressive. Year to date, up seventy five percent for this stock. That's simply incredible in this environment. Crushed expectations, revenue up 57%, their dollar-based net expansion rate, retention rate up 143%, 135% if you exclude an acquisition, incredibly strong. Um, their non-GAAP operating income almost doubled to $6.1 million, So so uh, profitable on a non-GAAP basis, but still, it's an important metric, I think, to look at. And their non-GAAP EPS up 20%, so really strong. 190,000 active customer accounts as of now, up 23%, very strong growth numbers. They are able to see into Q2 guiding for 35% revenue increase, but They didn't feel comfortable looking out the full year, so they withdrew their full-year guidance, not surprisingly, as everyone is doing so. Um, They did indicate that they would continue to spend on marketing and R&D to remain competitive because this is a very competitive space, so you've got to spend
0: to keep up. Coming up, Earnings Palooza rolls on. Stay right here, you're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Ron Gross and Jason Moser, who is tagging in for Andy Cross. Disney's second quarter profit fell 91% compared to a year ago. But, Jason, Disney stock basically flat this week because there, there really weren't any surprises, were there? No, I, I think that's
1: a good point, there weren't really any surprises. And, and, you know, we are seeing a little bit of a turn in the headlines here. There is at least some optimism starting to starting to, to come into our day-to-day lives here. It, it, so, at some point or another, COVID-19 is going to be in the rearview mirror, and Disney is still going to be awesome. And so, I think <laughs> that's kind of the way the market is viewing this right now. And I, and I actually think that's the right way to look at it, uh, because, honestly, this isn't just a Disney thing, right? Pretty much everyone around the world is in the same boat here. We knew the numbers are going to be bad if we adjust for certain items. Earnings fell 63% from a year ago. They estimated a $1.4 billion hit to operating income for the quarter due to COVID 19. Now, the good news there, I think they did did a good thing in foregoing the semi annual dividend. And that comes out to about $1.6 billion in cash that they're going to save. And the optics there are really good as well. And if you look at how the business was performing before the shutdown, per capita guest spend during the period was open. During the period the park door opened, it was up 13% on higher admissions merchandise and food and beverage spending per room spending at the domestic hotels was actually up 6%. So, they were performing very well before the shutdown started. Uh, And then, certainly, Disney+, Plus, which has been on the top of everyone's mind, as of May 4th, they estimate around 54.5 million uh, Disney Plus subscribers, and they're going to be rolling that out into new markets here as as the year progresses. So, it is a difficult time, obviously, for everyone, but there are a
3: lot of ways Disney can win, and
1: I think the market is looking at it the right way.
3: Yeah, I heard uh, famed investor Jeremy Siegel speaking this morning, and he made a good point. He said, 90% of a company's value are based on the cash flows that a company will generate after the next year. And if you believe in Disney after this next year, I think it's too good a price to pass up here. I think it will remain a strong company and do great things.
0: Well, and Jason, presumably uh, Disney's uh, attempts to open the park in Shanghai—that, depending on how that goes, that maybe provides a roadmap for opening those parks back up in the states.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. Uh, there, there's still a, a lot of questions to answer here domestically, of course, and, and and we have to acknowledge that anything can happen. We're still not out of the woods, uh, but uh, again, I mean there is a finish line here at some point regarding this virus. Disney is still going to be just as strong, it's still going to have all that IP and all those parks and everything, so it's still going to be a company in great shape. Uh, So, so I suspect they'll be able to weather the storm without too much of a problem.
0: Sticking with entertainment, two of the bigger players in video gaming out with quarterly reports, Activision Blizzard and Electronic Arts, both saw their stocks rise this week. Ron, there's certainly a lot more gaming going on these days, what stood out to you?
3: Yeah, for sure, as folks are staying home, um, net bookings of both companies rose, which I think we would have expected to see. They both have very strong franchises uh, out of Activision, Call of Duty remain real strong. Their new free game, Warzone, um, accumulated 60 million players since March 10th. World of Warcraft remains really solid. Um, they actually were able to raise their full-year guidance as well as their dividend, um, which is really impressive. Electronic Arts also um, relatively strong, but but not as as robust. And I think we saw a little bit of weakness in the shares at certain points for a couple of reasons. One, I think the valuation is significantly higher than Activision, at 35 EA versus 28 times Activision. As well as some concern that uh, Electronic Arts really uh, is dependent on sports gaming like FIFA and Madden. And in an age where we don't know what the future of live sports looks like, um, there could be concern there that we'll see some some negative impact um, on those franchises. Uh, so, in this case, I think Activision a bit stronger, but under the circumstances, everyone's staying home, playing lots of video games.
0: Uh, we've certainly seen, Ron, in the movie business that production schedules uh, have been halted uh, around the globe. Are we seeing that sort of thing in the video game space as well? Because some of these games are created in such a way where you actually need people to get together.
3: Yeah, I think that both companies are going to spend, um, because they have to, because as you said, it, it's similar to the movie business, you need to, to either re-energize your franchise that exists or come up with new games, but they'll be spending prudently, for sure. Um, in, in, this, in this environment, you've got to protect the balance sheet. But as we saw with Activision, as I said, increase the dividends, so, so they're certainly thinking that business will remain strong.
0: Shares of Wayfair up 50% this week after the online home furnishings company's first quarter loss was smaller than expected. And Jason, some of those people who were shorting Wayfair, uh, they, they headed for the exits. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this stock chart makes Space Mountain just look like a little stroll through the park, Chris. <laughs> uh, it's been a crazy year, no doubt. I mean, I think we're seeing a time certainly, a time like this is it's shining a light on the advantages of the market that Wayfair is pursuing. It's, you know, a lot of their competitors are really closed for business, and Wayfair is not. And then when their competitors open back up, they're still going to be limited to the traffic they can take in, and, and, and it's still not certain that consumers are going to be all that willing to go out there and shop around crowded stores. Um, uh, so as much as there was probably an overreaction to the downside on Wayfair earlier this month or earlier this year, this may be a little bit of an overreaction to the upside, but there are reasons for the market's reception here. And there was a quote that stood out in the call. They said, starting in mid-March, we saw a pickup in both traffic and conversion with increasingly strong repeat behavior, coupled with an acceleration in new customer orders. So right at the time when business was falling off a cliff for a lot of businesses it was picking up for Wayfair, and then that showed in the numbers with revenue of $2.3 billion up 20% from a year ago, gross margin ticked up 70 basis points, active customers up to $21.1 million versus $16.4 million a year ago. And, and that most important metric that we always talk about, the repeat customers. Repeat customers play 69.8% of total orders in the quarter versus 66% a year ago. So, again, all of the numbers tell us that what they're doing is working, and the market's going to give them a little wiggle room until they get to that uh, you know, ever-evasive
0: profitability, but, but it sounds like that's coming probably pretty soon. Jason, I feel like a couple of years ago when we started talking about Wayfair, that repeat customer number, uh, which I remember you highlighting even back then, my memory is that was somewhere in the 40s. It, it, Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're right, it, and that's with any new business like that, they have to
1: acquire customers and then they really focus on trying to get those customers to come back and buy more. It costs money to acquire those customers, so the more repeat business, the less they have to spend on acquiring those new customers. And for a business model like Wayfair, that really is crucial.
0: Pinterest's first-quarter results showed slowing user growth and shares were flat for the week. Ron, Pinterest is a growth company and uh, we don't want slowing growth in our growth companies. <laughs> that, that is very well said. Uh, the quarter
3: was solid, but it's, it's all relative. Um, I think most importantly, um, folks are looking at what they said about uh, the second quarter, which uh, they expect to see advertising revenue decline, um, saw that in late March and into April. Also, expecting lower margins as costs increase as user numbers grow. Um, And I don't think investors like that at all. Interestingly, this is another stock, though, that is actually up this year, almost 5%. But at around nineteen dollars a share, trading kind of flat to to its IPO, so it's a, it's a stock that overall has hasn't gone um, gone anywhere. But for the quarter, you know, you saw revenue up thirty five percent and twenty six percent growth in monthly users. I I think folks were hoping for numbers that were a little bit stronger than that, but you can argue that those are are relatively strong. Uh, they're still not profitable, but adjusted EBITDA only about $53 I say only, that's not too bad, a little bit of growth and a little bit of cost-cutting can perhaps help them turn the corner there. They did pull guidance, as everyone else did. Balance sheet looks good, they've still got a fair amount of cash, not in any jeopardy there.
0: Although you think back to the start of earnings season, Snap came out with a pretty solid report, and that may be part of why the expectations for a business like Pinterest on the ad side were higher.
3: Yes, and um, for sure, I think you've got to be prepared for a second quarter that's going to look pretty weak. I don't know if that's a reason to sell the stock off now, because again, it's only one quarter, and I think advertising revenue will pick up later in the year and into next year. So, if, as long as you can stomach a little bit of the volatility here, I think you, you kind of just sit tight, you listen to what
0: management is saying, you expect it, and, and you hold you hold steady. Coming up, we've got the war on cash and the war for your taste buds. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Hey, before we get back to the show, quick shout out to TD Ameritrade. In these unprecedented times, having access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions for today and tomorrow. TD Ameritrade is committed to providing you with a range of relevant educational content like timely articles, informative webcasts, and even access to daily live market news so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. To learn more about their breadth of resources, go to tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors Get smarter. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Andy Cross. Andy's back. Ron Gross is going to join us later in the show. Shares of Etsy up more than twenty percent this week. First quarter revenue came in higher than expected. And Andy, you look at the early results that we're seeing so far in Q2, and right now Etsy's on fire.
2: Chris it was a really another nice quarter with uh, gross merchandise sales. So the sales across the Etsy platform up 32.6% to $1.4 billion, and net revenues followed up almost 35%. Their marketplace revenues up uh, 23%. That's about 68% of sales. That's that's down a little bit from um, from the first quarter or from the quarter last year. And their service revenues were up more than 70%. Active buyers up 16% in the quarter, which was nice. And active sellers up 26%. They did see an explosion, or explosion at least grow, higher growth in their operating expenses, which hit their profitability. I think there were some concerns with that from the from the marketplace. They really saw this explosion in their in mask interest and sales. April mask sales were 133 million dollars in gross merchandise. Um, they sold 12 million masks in April. If that was its own category, that would be the second highest category of goods sold across the Etsy platform. Um, so, a really nice overall quarter, they saw some nice growth in their, their new Reverb um, musical instruments business they acquired last year. In April, uh, sales were up 50%, or merchandise sales were up 50%. Um, and their forecast was pretty nice for the, for the second quarter, revenue is up 70 to 90%, and continued um, uh, EBIT, uh, operating profit margins um, on the adjusted side between 23 and 27%. So, overall, a pretty nice quarter for Etsy, and you see it in the stock price.
0: Yeah, it's a sign of the times that we live in that the CEO gave an interview this week and broke out Etsy sales into two categories: masks and non-masks. Yeah,
2: it certainly is a, an indication of what we went through and what we're continuing to go through. But when you see just the the, the quest and the thirst for for masks and protections, and hey, you got to start to um, marshal resources where you can find them, and there are you know millions of people out there looking for masks, and lots of Etsy sellers willing to make them and sell them.
0: Square and PayPal both out with first-quarter reports, Square's stock up 15% this week, PayPal shares up 20% and hitting a new all-time high. Jason, cash is going to have to throw in the towel soon because (laughs) this is getting very (laughs) one-sided. Yeah, even cash doesn't like using cash anymore, Chris.
1: You uh, know this. This takes me back to last week. What Satya Nadella said on the Microsoft call. He said we have seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months. Um, he's right. And ultimately, what that means, there are a lot of companies that are leading this transformation, and they're doing really well because of it. Payments companies certainly uh, are in that in that group. PayPal very strong first quarter results. And I want to actually talk about the month of April alone because they added 7.4 million net new accounts in April alone. Now, that compares to 9 million new accounts in all of the second quarter a year ago. So, you can see this business accelerating. They added 20.2 million net new actives in the first quarter. Now, about 10 of those were from the Honey acquisition. But overall, total payment volume, $191 billion. Clearly, there's a lot of money moving through that network. And with Square, it was really a lot of the same kind of thing, just on a smaller scale. Sales of $1.4 billion, that was up uh, 44% from a year ago. Actually, 51% if you exclude the caviar uh, side of the business, which they sold off. Uh, Cash App generated $528 million in total net revenue. Uh, they continue to bring more users in, into the uh, ecosystem there. But they did note during the last two weeks of the first quarter, seller gross payment volume was down 39% from a year ago. Does sound like things are getting a little bit better. They are participating in the uh, the pay the paycheck protection pl- uh, program, so they're they're playing a role in getting that money back out to consumers and their merchant customers. Uh, so all in all, I, I understand the market's optimism with these two businesses. I'm I'm, I'm optimistic as well.
0: Where do you want to see these companies investing their money? Obviously, PayPal is uh, much bigger than Square, so they've got more to deploy. But just as a shareholder, what do you want to see in terms of capital allocation? So, I think with PayPal, you know, you're
1: going to watch them continue to make maybe some little acquisitions here and there. I think integrating Honey is going to make a big difference into the business and bringing more people into that network. Uh, and certainly, hey, they they quoted uh, the acquisition of Zoom as being one that's really paying dividends. You remember Zoom, the, f- the financial remittance company, not not Zoom, the video company. But they noted on the call they've seen a 400% increase in people using Zoom. So I think they're going to place a lot of a lot of uh, emphasis on that remittance market here in the coming. Uh, quarters and years. And I think with Square, you know, they're going to continue to invest in that capital side of the business, they're getting their bank charter, so they're going to participate more in lending. Uh, but they're also making a lot of investments in their Square online store, which is kind of their answer to Shopify, right? You see Shopify trying to become a little bit more of a payment-style company, and you see Square kind of going that other direction, trying to become a little bit more of an e-commerce company. And so, the nice part is, it's a really big market, there's plenty of room for both companies to win. But, but that's where I see them focusing their attention uh, in, the near, in the
0: near term. Shares of Roku up this week. Roku's ad business took a hit in the first quarter. But Andy, they, we saw some solid user growth from Roku as well.
2: We did, Chris. Now, they pre-announced their results maybe a few weeks ago. So it wasn't too surprising. Revenues up 55% to $321 million. Uh, 73% on the platform side. So that's really t- – Lot driven by advertising, the player revenues a little slower growth, up 22%. Um, active users up 37% to now almost uh, 40 million. Uh, Saw some some uh, growth on their player unit so- uh, sales, up 25%. Saw a drop in the average selling price, which which hurt them on the. Revenue growth side, there. average revenue per user at twenty four dollars when you look over the course of a year of revenue, that's up twenty eight percent from nineteen dollars um, a year ago. Uh, the growth gross profit trailed a little bit, Chris. That was up only forty percent. Their platform form margin saw a hit, and as you mentioned, a lot of that was from some of the advertising conversations. So streaming hours continue to be very, um, very exciting. They streamed more than 13 billion hours in the quarter, that was up 49%, and streaming per user continues to grow. But the downside to the quarter was really some slowdown in the advertising, and just some conversation on the, on the conference call about, hey, the advertising market, we are definitely seeing a pause or a reduction in spending from some of the advertising clients, and that might be a drag on Roku's revenues going forward for a little bit.
0: Yeah, it really seems like the advertising pie is getting smaller in 2020. When you hear companies like Expedia saying, we're cutting our ad spend by 80%. And yes, we get some surprises to the upside here and there. Uh, We certainly saw that recently with Alphabet and Facebook and and their latest results. But I think across the board, what we're seeing with businesses like Roku and Pinterest, and certainly at the local level, Uh, That seems to be more the norm, doesn't it? I think so, Chris.
2: And it's a little bit more on the branding side. So uh, Roku talked about ad cancellations were particularly pronounced in late March and then continued into April. So I think as opposed to maybe targeted like search advertising or very specific advertising, much more maybe on the branding side um, Roku uh, is seeing some of those slowdowns, and there are some clients, when you just look at some of the spending and the business um, impact from the COVID uh, crisis that we're going through, and companies just may not be willing to spend at a large scale like they used to, and that might be bad for Roku's not just the revenue side, but also for the profitability side, because those are very high margin um, spend on the Roku platform.
0: First quarter sales for Shake Shack down 45%, and yet, Jason, it Kind of looked like there were some glimmers of hope for Shake Shack's business. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the stock has been cut in half
1: since the middle of last year, so it's it's coming off of a little bit of a tough time. I mean, clearly, restaurants are one of the most severely affected by what's going on. And for Shake Shack, honestly, it could be worse. I mean, at least it's not a casual dining concept, right? But, But that said, they definitely have some problems to deal with. Um, tricky time. Total revenue was up eight percent. However, comps for company-operated domestic stores uh, fell 12.8 percent, or that's what they call those same-shack sales. Any which way you put it, it's a, it's a mouthful, I guess. Um, uh, there, there are certainly signs, as many other restaurants. I mean, in their most recent fiscal week, the week ended April 29th. Same-shack sales were down 45 percent compared to uh, the, same, the same quarter a year ago, same week a year ago. Um, I, you know they they are in cash conservation mode, and they noted that they're really focused on making sure they're in a good capital position. They've they've issued some additional equity to raise some money. Uh, they have pulled down some from a line of credit. Uh, they they are going to continue to invest in delivery. They're no longer exclusively just Grubhub, and that's good. I mean, it's a double edged sword. It's not the most profitable business of war, but it keeps it keeps the lights on and keeps business you know running. Um, but but you know they they are going to in the near term i think they're going to have a couple of challenges here number 1 the availability of beef is is starting to come into question and obviously that's that's about a third of what they're putting out there and and there was there was a uh, there was some analysis out there that about a fifth of Wendy's locations uh, nationwide have have taken beef items off their menu. so i mean that's just because of, of the lack of availability and then clearly the economics that result from that Beef prices are going to go up, that's going to that's hit them on the margin side as well. So, they're, they're playing a little bit of defense right now. This isn't a company that I think they don't do for the burger what Chipotle did for the burrito. So, I, I think you got to probably keep your expectations in check. There's probably still some growth to be had there, especially from today's price. But no question they've got some problems to deal with.
0: Is it safe to assume that Shake Shack has scaled back their expansion plans? Because this is a business that was... Heavily concentrated in New York City, sort of the Mid Atlantic area, uh, there were tremendous opportunities for expansion. But uh, I'm assuming they've scaled that back. Yeah, they've
1: at least they've at least put it on hold, right? They had some projects that have been put on pause, and, and then projects that haven't been started yet. They're they're just pushing that out a little bit further down. The timeline as, as, as I said they're in that cash conservation mode. And I think that's the right move for now. They need to make sure they come out on the other side of this in a good capital position, which I think they will, uh, but, but it definitely delays the growth story, no, no doubt about that.
0: On last week's show, Beyond Meat was the stock on Andy's radar. At the time, Beyond Meat was $90 a share. One week later, it is $130 a share. So, you tell me, Andy, what was in Beyond Meat's first quarter report?
2: Yeah, Chris, it was a, it was a pretty nice quarter when you think about revenue's up 140% to 97 million. Now that was a deceleration from the fourth quarter's a growth of 212%, but still very nice retail sales and food the retail business and the food service business up about the same at 157% growth, uh, but but half the total business is tied to U.S. retail, so that's very important to them. I'll note, inventories were up only 48%, Chris. That's a really good sign that Beyond Meat is doing a very nice job being able to manage their inventory in a, in a point of growth. That won't always be the case, but they've done some nice things in that line uh, that helped gross margins up 38%. Uh, to 38.8% versus 26.8%. So, really nice boost on the gross margin side, and they became profitable in the quarter, which was unexpected, I think, from the, from the, uh, what Wall Street was looking at. So, nice balance sheet, lots of growth, a very expensive stock when you look at the earnings potential. But when you think about, Jason mentioned about the meat challenges that, that consumers are, are seeing right now in the marketplace, Nice opportunity for those of us who are not really um, uh, used to um, eating meat or or, or trying plant-based meat alternatives to give uh, Beyond Meat a a chance. And it's really showing up in the bottom line and the top line for Beyond Meat.
0: Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Bobby Full Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money, Chris Hill here with the whole gang, Andy Cross, Jason Moser, and Ron Gross. Real quick, Andy, before we get to the stocks on our radar, a week ago, which feels like two months ago, we had the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting, and the big headline coming out of it was Warren Buffett selling Every share of airline stock, but more surprising to me, he's not really buying anything.
2: That's right, Chris. As you and I talked about on the show, he really has been—I um, would say—cautious, uh, even more so than just conservative. Like, just seems very cautious t- about the market environment. Um, stung by the the loss they they took on the airline sales, and they sold more than six billion dollars worth in April. Um, most of those in airlines, um, cashed out completely there. Um, it was not a good investment for him, for shareholders. I think it was just a little bit dour and down just from the lack of having a lot of uh, thousands of thousands of people at the Woodstock of capitalism, as it's known in Omaha for the shareholder meeting. So, it was just a totally different feel, uh, but very just cautious in the work in, on the environment, wondering maybe perhaps what the intrinsic value of Berkshire Hathaway is actually really worth, and not even buying a lot of Berkshire Hathaway stock itself.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to touch on. Uh, Understanding business is weak, energy business is weak, their investment portfolio is weak. Maybe, as Andy said, uh, hard to get a line on exactly what book value or intrinsic value looks like. But I was stunned that he didn't put more money to work, and if he didn't like anything out in the market, which I don't even understand how that could possibly be, with stocks on sale to the tune of 25 to 35%, how could he not buy more of his own stock back? Um, Berkshire is my largest holding, I was disappointed to see that.
0: And for anyone wondering, is it time to buy the airlines? Yeah, that's a resounding no, at least from Warren Buffett. Uh, let's get to the stocks on our radar. Our man, he's not behind the glass, he's uh, hes on the video screen, like all of us are. It's Dan Boyd, uh, Andy Cross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week?
2: Smartsheet, Chris, uh, symbol, S-M-A-R. It's uh, one of the collaborative workforce tools out there available. $6.6 billion market cap company makes subscription products uh, that help uh, companies organize their workflows much better. They take email, spreadsheets, um, phone conversations, meetings, whatever it may be. Helps collaborative tool, helps uh, their clients and their clients' workforce work more collaboratively, Uh, sales growing 50% per year, 135% dollar-based retention rate last quarter, continues to expand its user base across more than 6.3 million total users. They report uh, earnings sometime, I think, in the next next month, so they're a little off-cycle here. So, I'm really interested to see what they are experiencing, because the last time they reported, Chris, it was really before the COVID epidemic,
0: so interesting to see what they are hearing. Dan, question about Smartsheet? Yeah,
1: Andy, so if we, the Motley Fool Money Radio team here, were to start using Smartsheet in our workflow, would that make us any smarter? Because if
0: anybody needs it, it's us.
2: I was going to say, do we need to be that much smarter, Dan? I'm not sure about that, but um, yes, I think it might make us just a tad bit smarter, if that is
1: possible. Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Yeah, taking a look at Coupa Software, uh, C-O-U-P is the ticker. Coupa is a provider of uh, business management, uh, business spend management solutions. Basically, that helps uh, businesses uh, focus on procurement, invoicing, expense management, helps them make their operations more efficient, save money. The value proposition is pretty simple there, is just increased user adoption and Spend under management that drives better visibility and control of what a company's is spending. Uh, so, it's a business that ultimately has really strong network effects that, over time, should lead to some level of pricing power, and we do like to see that. It's been a good year for the stock so far, they're still working on that pesky profitability number, which makes valuation in the near-term a much larger risk. But it is a good business, compelling network effects, I really do like this one, I'm,
0: I'm enjoying learning more about it. Dan, question about Coupa Software?
1: Certainly, Chris. Jason, when I think Koopa, I think Mario, as in Super Mario. So, do you have a favorite Super Mario game? You know, I am old school. I go back to the very early days of Super Mario Brothers on my Nintendo. Boy, oh boy, I wasted a lot of time playing that thing.
3: Ron Gross, what are you looking at? Circling back around to Costco, COST, due to some news that came out this week, I'm a big fan of their membership model, their value prop offer to consumers, their management team. I think they'll likely be one of the winners when this all shakes out, along with Amazon and Walmart. Uh, Interestingly, they recently released April sales numbers that were weak due to, perhaps not surprisingly, uh, less traffic at warehouses, also travel food courts, closures of departments like optical and hearing aids hurt them. Comp sales in the U.S. down 3.3% In Canada down 11.7%. If we strip out gas and foreign exchange, it looks a little bit better. But a, a weak report for Costco that perhaps we're not used to, I am happy to report that e-commerce was strong at 85%, so um, something that we might expect, traffic to the store is weak, e-commerce strong. But we've got to keep an eye on this, we have to see that trend reverse, because at 34 times, this company needs to continue to put up that growth, Um, so that's what I'll be keeping an eye on. Dan, question about Costco?
1: Sure. Ron, you're a known doomsday prepper, so (laughs) what sort of things were you hoarding? (laughs) From Costco this time around.
3: <laughs> well, you know, obviously toilet paper, but you can't go wrong with the rotisserie chicken. You just get a bunch, you freeze them right up. They last forever. <laughs> Delicious.
1: Very nice, Ron and Chris. I think uh, I think I'm going with Ron on this one for Costco. I need those jeans, those Kirkland <laughs> nice. jeans.
0: All right, Ron Gross, Jason Moser, Andy Cross, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks, Chris. Chris. That's gonna do it for this week's show. Our engineer is Dan Boyd. Our producer is Mac rear I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.